Where do we start this? And the answer doesn't matter. We're having a good time. Right. <laughs> he couldn't wait to get in here. You need sales balls to make sales calls. Sure. I'm tweeting that puppy. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Sell or Die podcast. We're your hosts, Jeffrey and Jen Gittimer. I'm the author of The Little Red Book of Selling and 15 other best-selling books and the creator of the seven-figure sales formula program. I grew up in Philadelphia, sold in New York City, but was smart enough to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm the author of Sales in the New York Minute and creator of Breakthrough Business Babe Community. Fun fact, I'm obsessed with our dogs and consider them humans. If you have a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sell or Die is for sales professionals, salespeople, sales managers, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to sell more at full price, earn loyalty, and have an unlimited stream of referrals. Every single episode is going to give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can get your calls returned, your proposals read and acted on, all while creating relationships that you can take all the way to the bank. It's time to sell or die. You guys, we get to welcome very famous people, but today we really have a special welcome because not only is this guy famous, we actually like him. And there's a lot of famous people we have absolutely disdain for, but Dave Horsehager is not just a likable guy, he's a trustable guy. And when you are both liked and trusted, all of a sudden truth comes out. And uh, he has a leadership institute. It goes way, way back. Um, he's definitely a leader in the field of trust and trusting. And uh, the cool part is we trust each other. Please help <laughs> me welcome my friend, the great Dave Horsehacker. Hey, all right. Thank you, Team Gittimer. It's it's great to be here. Uh, we've watched games at Yankee Stadium. We've hung yeah. out at your cool place. And uh, yeah. I, I, I told you, I showed you the, you know, I've got all your books, but I get the little red book of selling from 15 years ago or whatever. And that's uh, it's fun. I thought you were going to open up saying we, we interview all these famous people, but not today. I thought he was going to do that too. No, That's I so funny. <laughs> you know, very few people deserve respect for what they do, and you're one of them. So I thought, <laughs> yeah. come on. Before me... we got on this interview, Jeffrey goes, Oh, cool. I actually like him. <laughs> oh, that's kind. That's kind. Well, no, that's I, massive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate all the work you've done ahead of me. I remember talking about, uh, you know, been inspired. I was in a mastermind group where you, Jeffrey came and spoke and, um, it was just a, a treat to get to know you and, and get to know you on stage and off. So, you know, that, that mastermind group is legendary. You're aware of that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing group. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I, as I said, when I started with them over a decade ago, it was kind of, it was millionaires, billionaires, and me. And it, yeah. uh, it, <laughs> it you know, it was really a monumental for me. Within one year, I made a, a big jump. And I say that's the power of connections and people believing in you. And, um, and it, that, that was a, that's a massive, it was a massive impact to my organization. If I think about my business starting in 1999, 
you know, or jumping off the trust stuff. But it, it, a lot of people don't know this. 1999, Lisa and I moved back from down south up to back to Minnesota. We put everything we had into our first business. We had a dollar forty to our name, sixty cents in the home account, eighty cents in the business account. We found a place to live for half the price of renting anywhere else, about $350 a month, 86-year-old Clara Miller's, black mold on the walls, no bathroom, kitchen, or no bathroom, no kitchen, or windows. We didn't know it was illegal to live in a windowless basement. That's how we started our first business in Minnesota. And we had um, that we, we would go upstairs and share her bathroom and kitchen. We lived there for two years. The day we moved out two years later, there was two inches of water on the floor. Uh, and, and that was, that was how we started. So I talk about like for, for us, it's like that first decade, nine, 1999 to 09, there was a lot of challenge of, and I lost yeah. everything a couple of times. And then, you know, um, a lot of things thankfully changed. Recession, but, uh, inflation, all kinds of things happened in that decade that were all of which were really not that great. But the uh, biggest benefit was I took that time to do the research. My grad work became uh, a, a basis for all that we do in a real way. And that was, that was what I, I'm grateful for that still today, taking and, and doing all that work. And now we still do the research, but. Yeah. Let me throw something at you to affirm that. In 1989, maybe, I was doing consulting in Charlotte for $100 an hour. And Cox Cable called me and said, we have a $1,200 budget. What can you do? And I said, I'll do 12 one-hour courses on personal development, attitude, responsibility, listening, goals, and I wrote these courses. They were all self-tests and everything for a hundred bucks a piece. And it became <laughs> the foundation for everything I did. That, you know, this is something we'd say on the farm. You, you know, I grew up on the farm with not much in the poorest county in Minnesota. And my dad would say, you got to do the work. That pile doesn't shovel itself. And those hay bales don't bail themselves. And those, those rocks don't pick themselves. And the corn doesn't cultivate itself. We got to do the work. And I'm grateful for that because what do we, you know, you do the work and, and now we have something real. I mean, we've got the, most researched on trust and leadership out of North America. We do one of the biggest studies every year. We, 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 we're doing the work and it's the payoff, of course, just like whether you talk about in sales or life, you do the work, yeah. it pays off. How did you even get into this? Like you said you were researching yeah. this as a, yeah. as part of a program. Like, Well, I, I'll tell you what, I went into my grad work ahead of that. So I, I was, you know, even in that, program in the 1990s. I have to tell my kids back in the 1900s when I was, you know, so I would, uh, I had built this leadership curriculum. I was director of a youth and family organization down in Arkansas and I built this curriculum. And then when I moved back, I got asked to share it, even, you know, U.S. Coast Guard Academy and other, you know, businesses and whatever. And I started thinking it, that's not the real problem. The leadership isn't the real problem. That's a trust problem. And this was intuitive at the time, no research. That, that's not a sales problem. It's, it's a trust problem. The reason they're buying or not is trust issue. That's not an innovation problem. It's a trust issue. That's not a whatever. And I, it was just intuitive. And that led to my, my um, grad work. And then we started using it in companies and it actually worked. The first company, they said in nine months, we drove attrition down, small 600 person company, we drove attrition down by uh, two to $4 million. We had a, a, a part of John Deere say they saved this, this one guy said he used one of these trust ideas and he made increased sales by 4.6 million in 90 days. So we, we actually applied it 
and we, and that grew passion. And frankly, it also changed me, you know, then the books came out and research, you know, all that, but, but it, along the way, I think I'm a better dad, a better husband, a better leader of my, you know, the Institute and whatever, because it's changed me along the way. But, but because we're doing fresh research, I'm, it's fresh and it's on my mind all the time. I'm seeing how it's affecting, you know, innovation. Oh, the team, they don't trust each other. So they don't share ideas. Oh, you know, that you want more uh, learning to go up in a classroom, you got to deal with trust. The only reason way it goes up is trust in the content, the teacher or the psychological safety of the room. So um, even diversity, I'll, I'll leave you on this before you ask. <laughs> it's like the diversity issues of our day. They're not diversity issues. They're trust issues. Correct. The, the biggest study out of Harvard, the Putnam study shows diversity on its own pits people against each other. Unless you increase trust, it's the only way to get the benefits of diversity, equity, inclusion, or anything else. So, um, so anyway, back to your question, Jennifer, it was I kept seeing it as a trust issue that led to the research, and then everything I did started to become around solving challenges with trust because I believe trust is always the root issue. So, not to get political or anything, but, but. <laughs> why do people trust the mainstream media so blindly yet when a salesperson calls them and really actually wants to help them, they raise their guard and don't trust them? I mean, there's a lot of answers to that question, but the first one is choice. If a salesperson calls them, they didn't choose it. And people like to be in control. And if they watch the floofy, whatever media, for some reason, they chose to have it on. So, yeah. uh, by the way, institutional trust has tanked massively um, in the last since since Watergate. If you look at institutional trust, you can see, uh, you know, was 80 percent trust in government. Now it's like six percent. We looked at, uh, you know, trust in schools. The, the reason homeschooling and charter schooling is going up is because people don't trust public schools. They don't trust where big food. I want my food to be grown next door at the little pot. I mean, they. They don't trust big anything. Religion, um, you know, roughly the same number of people trust, uh, believe in God as 80 years ago in America. And yet any metric that would show it going to a place of worship, giving uh, is down steeply. So Institute and media was down the most of all last year of all institutional trust. Yeah. What do you think with all the people you guys have interviewed? What what do you think is the best takeaway you've heard about trust? I mean, what do you, or what do you think about how would you build trust fast as in, especially in a sale? How would you do it? So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a New York city raised salesperson, plain and simple. But what I had to do in order to get to my place wouldn't be accepted in today's society mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> what would you do differently now? What do you do differently now? You're, you're right. You because can't swear as much. You have to go through, you know, you can't take the freight elevator to get to cold call somebody. You have to go through some guard, show your driver's license, prove who you are. And then they automate the floor that the elevator goes to. So you can't even go to another floor. <laughs> so it's a different society yeah, and a yeah. different world. No doubt. You still bring your attitude with you from where you were raised, but you have to approach it in a much more calm and nice way. Yeah, I, I think it's different even for me from when I started selling. And and it also depends on who you're selling to. But the biggest way I start trusting other people that I don't know, like through the internet or that I feel like they start trusting me, honestly, is through Instagram stories and through peeling back the curtain and showing what's behind 
what's really there. You know, someone, so our membership director at the club yesterday told me to send over, we have to send over passport size photos. She goes, but none with palm trees in the background or Cavalier King Charles dogs. And I'm like, <laughs> do you follow me on Instagram? Right. <laughs> because, and like, so she knew me immediately and felt this level of trust. Right. And, and that's what I want my clients and potential clients to feel as well. And I think showing that authenticity of really the like when I do my, my other podcast, my podcast, I literally send it to them. I say every time, no edits. Sometimes I'll say, Oh, I can't think of that word. What is that mm-hmm. word? Oh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And people hear my trainer, but I don't cut it out because mm-hmm. I want it to be real. Authenticity and, wins. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that really does win. So I'm going to throw a truth at you. And if you decide you want to use it, all I ask is a lifetime acknowledgement. Let's hear it. I got my pen. (laughs) Trust allows humor. There are a thousand memes a day that are created. Many of them are funny as hell. But if they go against the political beliefs or the personal beliefs of somebody that you send it to, you may have offended them forever. If you trust the other person's beliefs and they are shared with you, you're permitted to use humor without asking for permission. Hmm. Trust breeds humor permission. Hmm. And it also deepens the relationship to where even more trust takes place if they respond in kind. But what comes first? The humor or the egg? No, the humor (laughs) or the trust. Because don't you think also that humor builds trust? Oh, sure. But humor has to be just funny. It doesn't, it can't be, uh, it can't show your politics or your personal beliefs at first. So it's you generic just, humor? Yeah. Let's generic. hear what David has to say about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a studier of humor, although I love humor, uh, but I see what you're saying. And I think, um, you know, basically, I, I actually could see it either way. I could see the right humor building trust. I could see the right r- wrong humor depreciating losing. trust, losing yeah. it quickly. Um, so I think... If trust is built first, I mean, you look at look at those of us on that go on stage. I mean, we can use humor to build trust. Um, we also use a whole lot of other things. I mean, there's a lot of people that think they're getting more trusted on stage when they do some stupid groaner and they got a laugh, which was not worth it because they didn't build trust. So the point of it, you know, a speaker on stage, your goal is not to be liked. Your goal is to be trusted. This is the whole idea. I say this all the time. It's like, it's, it's, um, however, 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 2,500 speeches, I'm going to tell you that humor builds my trust with audiences. Totally. And, and the right kind of like, right. So, but, but people, I mean, there's people I, you know, I wouldn't go into business other than a million years that I like watching the game with, because I mean, the question I'm asking is the question we're all getting asked. The number one question is, can I trust you? Right. Can I, can I trust you? So That's what do you what, think builds trust? Let's hear it. Well, first of all, let me say this. I believe our newest research is all that stuff. It's the same. It's been true for 20 years, but the leading indicator, I would argue more than ever, the root cause is always a trust issue. I believe it's never now without, I hope ego, I believe it's always at the core of trust issues. It's not 
the re, you know, not a leadership issue. The reason I follow a leader, not is trust. The only way to amplify a marketing message is increase trust in the message. The only way to increase learning is increase trust. The only way to deal with diversity. So that's my frame of reference just to give, you know, I can argue that and research and everything else. How do you build it? Basically there's, you know, out of that original research, just revalidated by an outside university last year, PhDs have been built on my framework, this eight pillar framework of, I believe what, how trust is actually built. These eight, I call them pillars in the book. They, they start with a C word, not to be some cutesy motivational book. They each stand for a funnel of research. And so I quickly, it's these eight. Yeah, people, and I could talk all day about each of these, so I'm going to kind of whip through them, but you can interject anytime. But how you build trust always comes back to these eight. Number one is clarity. People trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex. They also play out different ways. So a leader might need to be clear about the vision. Salesperson might need to be clear about the benefits of the product to me, not the how cool they are and how long they've been in business, right? So number two is compassion. We trust those that care beyond themselves. I have a hard time being accountable to someone or really trusting someone that doesn't have any care beyond themselves. Compassion. Number three is character. We trust those that do what's right in, in the trust edge world, do what's right over what's easy. So um, there's a whole framework for that, but character is a piece of trust. Number four is competency. Character isn't everything. Everything, oh, we just trust those with integrity. No, I, I might trust um, Jeffrey to take my kids to the ball game because of his character. I may not trust him to give me a root canal, right? So you, you gotta have the, the, the competency and capability to do it. The next one is commitment. We learn that we trust those that have a commitment to something. So um, commitment breeds commitment. If, if I feel like you're committed to me, I may be committed back. But if you think of people that have left a legacy in the world, whether it's your mom or dad or, you know, first grade teacher or, or Mandela or Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Jesus or Joan of Arc or anybody, it's they've had some commitment to a cause beyond themselves. Generally, there's a, a trust because of that commitment. Next one is connection and collaboration. You know, each of these pillars has counterforces in companies. So, well, if I go into a company, and I see siloing, I might have a counterforce of connection or that collaboration pillar. So this willingness to connect and collaborate, there's a whole lot we could say about that. Next pillar is contribution. This, the number one word that, that comes out of this research funnel is we trust those that contribute results. Results is the word. Results, performance, outcomes, those were words that came out of that research funnel. So you can't just, you've got to contribute results. You can't just have compassion, character. I mean, I go in for amputation. The, the, the surgeon cuts off the wrong leg. Might have been the most compassionate, kind surgeon I ever met. We, we con didn't contribute the right results, right? And the final pillar is consistency. You talk about this. We all talk. It's the little things done consistently. If whatever you do consistently, if the only way to build a reputation, the only way to build a brand is consistency. So if, if, if you're late all the time, I will in fact trust you to be late and I should. So consistency is trusted. This is key as you know, for salespeople, but, um, for everyone, it is. It's the only way you don't, you only build a reputation on sameness. You only build a, a brand on sameness. So that's the eight. I mean, that, I can talk about them all day. I can talk about tips under each one of them, but that's the eight pillar framework. And this is this research-based truth of how trust is built globally. Now, you might have to contextualize both for a person or uh, around the globe. And I talk about how we do that if we're dealing with corruption issues in East Africa or the, you know, work there or dealing with Indonesia, the, you know, I mean, there's ways to contextualize, but it still comes back to this. This is why people, this is why people, 
are solving the wrong issue. So people think they have engagement. Let's do an engagement study. We, we created this enterprise trust index built on 30 years of Accenture data because we had to measure trust because you don't get engagement with engagement. The only way is to get increased trust. Net promoter score. Let's get more referrals. It's a good idea. A decent white paper. The problem is you don't get referrals with referrals. The only way, the only lever is to increase trust. And finally, it's never a communication issue. Oh, we got a communication. No, you don't. You never have a communication issue. Clear communication is trusted and clear isn't. Hateful is not. Compassionate is. It's the type. So I have two things that I want to add to your list of eight. When you live in New York or Philadelphia, you pretty much lose the ability to be courteous. But when you employ courtesy, it always breeds a smile and an openness that might allow trust to occur. There Absolutely. are levers that allow trust to occur. Like is one of them. Courtesy is another one. Absolutely. That for us would come under the compassion pillar. Okay. Or kindness. Absolutely. Which also starts with a C, I think. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that would go. The, the C is silent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the least employed of the trust elusiveness factors is common sense. Because most people don't deploy that when they're talking to somebody else, they'll, it'll act, they'll actually send smoke signals that says, I can't trust this guy. And usually it says, well, honestly, or trust me. Literally, just trust me. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Those are the things that actually, and people don't have the common sense enough to, to alleviate that from your lexicon. And the biggest one is, and I mean that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really. Just, just honestly, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, or I mean that, or, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the same as just trust. I really me. like you a lot, David. And I mean that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Don't, sincere. But that, and, and by the way, that would come under the competency pillar. So there's different types. There's competency and wisdom. Wisdom. I got to be as a surgeon. There's also just competency as a leader at personal development. I mean, all these things, we even talk about how um, last year, how trust went up with um, basically people want uh, leadership and personal development three to one over a tactical development. This, this actually reminds me of something else. You, do you know Horst Schultze, the uh, founder of uh, Ritz Carlton? So yeah. we, I mean, by the way, another excellent book. I really, I, I like him. He was, uh, we, we just had a nice uh, talk again the other day, but he, he, you know, he was the one in the room, whatever people believe politically about Chick-fil-A. Okay. Let's just, I mean, if you look at Chick-fil-A, by the way, I was just with senior leadership and, and they, Average per store revenue, you know, go up the food chain here. Taco Bell, average per store revenue in the country, $460,000. Go to a KFC, it's $1.1 million. You go up the big ones, uh, uh, Burger King's $1.5 million. You go to um, two big ones, McDonald's and Panera. And average per store revenue is $2.5 million, except for one place. One place. Chick-fil-A, average per store revenue is $4.4 million and they don't work on Sundays and less hours per day. So, uh, you know, he's in there with Dan Cathy and the others and they're like, what they're winning on? Even Dan says it. Cathy says, it is just chicken. I mean, it's just chicken. But, but, but these kids, 
uh, frontline kids at Chick-fil-A. I mean, these guys didn't just come out of the womb saying my pleasure. They got yeah. trained. Right. So, right. um, so he's in there and, 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 uh, horses in there and he's, you know, he's an amazing guy and his service focus and, and everything is so cool. But, but he's like, well, we say at, at Rich Carlton, we teach this because it not only, it becomes not just a behavior, it be, actually becomes a heartbeat. And that is my pleasure. Because, you know, it, it transforms the attitude, changes the action, the attitude, action changes the attitude. And, and, and he says that the Kathy's like, you shouldn't use that, but you should find something. And Dan in front of him says, we're using that. <laughs> I'm being, you know. I'll tell you something. And this is my personal observation. The Chick-fil-A people say my pleasure and mean it. The Ritz Carlton people say my pleasure, and it's like they have a pipe up their ass. Depends on the location. And the origin, you know, and obviously uh, Horse has gone from there now, and he started the the next, uh, you know, uh, Capella Group, another level. It's twice as much as Standard Ritz, and they just got voted the top hotel in the world, the Bali location. But, but I think. Um, you know, I can't speak to exactly that. I've had amazing experiences at Ritz too. Not all perfect, but anyway. Yeah, I, so I was at a Four Seasons one day and someone was at the front desk griping about the fact that it was 500 bucks a night. And I reached over to their pile of apples and I said, no, the rooms are free. It's the apples that are 500 bucks. A <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The guy behind the desk said, I'm going to use that. <laughs> That's <laughs> Because humor diffuses that whole process. Totally. Totally. That's you are good at that on stage, even pricking, pricking, pricking people to do something differently. And then fun, you know, that's that's an expertise that can transform people. You know, that's so. Okay. If a salesperson feels like they're not making enough sales or not performing to their standard, how do they figure out if it's a trust issue because i'm assuming you it always is it's always a trust issue okay but how do they identify which of those eight pillars that they need to get stronger on like what is an activity what is something they can do to maybe assess themselves or figure out where they are so i mean this is not a sales pitch at all but we promised we'd give you a self people can have a self assessment and if they go to trustedleaderbook.com slash s-o-r-d for your cool podcasts and your cool peeps, um, trustedleaderbook.com. And if they don't get it there, just go to us and say, David said he would give the Gittimer folks uh, a free self-assessment. That'd be one way. We have six assessments we used all the way from highly valid organizational assessments for big companies down to self-assessments. Of course, the problem with self-assessments is people lie about themselves and have blind spots. So, But it can give a hint. Um, what I would do with that, though, is I'd write down these eight. And I would just think about it for a second and just underline a couple. You think, hey, I do this really well. I show commitment in this way. Okay, I'll underline that. I'm really, you know, compassionate. I always show that. Okay, now take one and circle it and say, which of which one of these, if I had a little, if I had this pillow a little stronger, if I was a little more clear, if I was a little more whatever it is, circle that. And then you do what I would do is how, how, how it. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. This, by the way, this little idea this little idea has tripled sales for people. It's the way when people ask me, how did I lose 52 pounds in 2011 and keep it off? It's this idea, not biggest loser where nine people out of 200 have kept the weight off. It's, it's this idea. So I, I still remember 
people say the why is important and the why is good. It's good to have a good purpose. And, you know, you don't last forever on a goal if you don't have a good why. You, you know, Collins would say the who is important, get the right who's on the bus. And you and I have both seen, you know, buses with great, you know, people with purpose, you know, singing Kumbaya go right off the cliff. The problem is the most uh, underused word that takes an idea to an action is how, 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 how you might have to ask seven times the how is if people can get in the habit of asking how until they can apply it today or tomorrow, they have a chance. I mean, I'll tell you the big company, one of the biggest healthcare organizations in North America, 10 years ago, maybe I said to the senior, we're at a private location. They're losing HCAP funding. They're losing patients. They're like, David, we're dying here. I said, what do you want to do? We've done all this trust work. Where are you going to start? He said, we need a better culture. We're dying. I said, great. How are you going to start to have a better culture? I said, well, I think we'll start with clarity. That was your first pillar that started. Okay, great. How are you going to be more clear? Um, we're going to communicate more. Do I trust him? Not for a second. How are you going to communicate more? We're going to hold each other accountable. I see people that talk about accountability. They don't even know what it means. They're like, we, you, you see this too. It's like, it's our value. I said, how do you hold people accountable? accountability stuff. I don't know. I asked how seven more times that day and they finally got to something he could do differently. And we did it with every executive, a hundred people. How, 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 until you're going to do something tomorrow morning. And what I mean is tomorrow morning. So something I can apply. So, um, the, the weight loss thing, I, you know, I'm asking people like, you know, that travel, like I have to travel, you travel, you know, whatever it is, 200 flights a year, hundred back then. And, and I, I'd say to people that look fit on the road that seem to like, have to eat in planes and go to banquets and all that. How do you stay fit? Like not creepy. How do you stay fit? You know, how do you stay fit on the road? And I try to get ideas. And what do they say around the world? Well, you know, all you gotta do is eat less, exercise more. That was not clear enough for me. So I started asking, but how do you do it? How do you do it? And I came up with a few ideas I could apply tomorrow morning. One of which was, um, so this one doctor, 80 years old, fit as could be, came up to me and said, David, here's an idea for, I don't know if you'll do it. But you might like it. This isn't something you guys would necessarily like. It just, he said, most men in America, if they would just wouldn't drink their calories, they'd lose 30 to 50 pounds in a year. Well, I start thinking about this. I like, I get on the plane and I order a Coke. But this is a final hour. I can look at it and say, oh, Fresca, no calories. And someone's going to say, well, you shouldn't drink that. You just got to support me. Leave me alone. I started ordering a Fresca instead of anytime you sit next to me on the plane, automatic. I just cut out two cans of Coke. I mean, that was like 400 calories or something a day by just going. My final how is I'm not going to on the plane. I'm not going to order something with a calorie. I can look at it. It's a final how I can apply. So there's a bunch of things like that. But a salesperson, I would say, OK, how are you going to do this starting today or tomorrow? And usually have to back up. You just can't say I'm going to call more people. You know this stuff. But um, so how are you going to call more people? I'm going to get a list. How are you going to get a list? Da, 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 da. How, how, how until you can do it today or tomorrow? There's one thing that I'd like to add to that. How is a very, very powerful question. Almost as powerful as then what? Which to me is the next how is that that, that question. How are you going to do that? Okay, then how are you going to do that? Okay, then how are you going to do that? Yeah, yeah exactly. I think you're saying the same thing. Yeah. So I, that, 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 I don't stop. We don't stop the how plan until they're going to apply it today or tomorrow. And a final how has to have it, has to, if it needs it, a time, place, and a... You know, I can't say I'm going to work out tomorrow morning unless I say it's 10, it's 5.30 in the morning. I can't say if I, if I have a choice in the morning of working out at the gym or going running, I'll do neither. Right. So I have to have a final how And this. We talk about this. It always has the who, when and where, if needed, you know, I think that's great.
talking the same language, but you can, yeah, I, I don't mind any more thoughts on it. You I probably learned yeah, it from I'm, you without giving you credit. Who knows? Um, but old men give good ideas. I'm going to tell you how I was walking out reading old books. I was walking out of a public seminar that I did in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 20 years ago. And an old man came up to me and he gave me this old kind of looking Greek coin. And he said, you see this coin? I said, yep. He said, I use it as a business card. No one ever throws it away. And someone always shows it to somebody else. But I think it would work better for you. Why don't you try it? And he gave me the car and he gave me the coin. A year later, I created my own coin. And if you go I, to eBay yeah. right now, go on eBay right now, someone is selling one of my coins for $35. <laughs> you gave them away for free. Yeah. I love that. I love That's that. awesome. So let's get into your book, The Trusted Leader. Yeah. Okay. Let's okay. do it. All right. <laughs> Tell us about the book. So in this book, you know, unlike what we learned is trust edge did well, Wall Street Journal bestseller, whatever. And yet people don't all want to read 365 pages of, of research based content. Right. So um, the Daily Edge, this tip book came out and was like, wow, people, even though that was just quick little ideas, it was people shared it. And so our publisher and, and team here said, we need people to shift thinking about trust faster and we need one for leaders, something they can apply tomorrow morning. So the first half of the book is a business parable and uh, a, that shifts thinking about trust. Oh, I thought I knew it all about trust. Oh, trust is just transparency, isn't it? No, some of your kids are so transparent on social media, I don't trust them for a second. Tra confidentiality is also trusted. You know, it's like we had to shift. It takes a long time to build trust, doesn't it? No, uh, on 9-11, complete strangers trust each other in a second if they're running the same direction. So we had to, we have to shift thinking about how trust really is the root issue and kind of give give the complexity of this old word. So it happens fast in a fun, quick parable of a, of a uh, entrepreneur that almost loses everything, of course, finds trust and, and uh, a way back. And the second half is application, the eight pillar framework. And, and just tip new tips since Trust Edge, ways they can apply that framework tomorrow morning. So a salesperson, a leader, an individual, how can I build that clarity pillar tomorrow morning? Oh, the ODC method for communicating clearly, the, the how, how plan, the, the spa method of, of compassion, a way of appreciate, creating an appreciative environment. So it's a quick, but really it, we're, we're excited about it. It helps people solve the real issue and uh, yeah, trusted leader. No, so this is awesome. So I know some of the parable is based on real life. What parts of it and... Is it, is it well, on your story? It There is a part of it that is uh, based, I mean, different threads all over the place. I think maybe if I was going to take one idea, tipping point in the book, there are several. I mean, I love to ski. So it happens, you know, he breaks his leg in a ski on a mountain, um, downhill ski and some of those kind of things. I, I fortunately um, married a, an amazing woman. So there's some some uh, Maya in the book kind of reflects that and, and some different things. I have an accountability group that I learned from. So that there's some of that. But the tipping point is basically something. I was a consult, senior consultant in a boardroom when this happened to me. This tech company set, kept saying to me, I'd spoken to the whole company in the morning and then they kept saying, we got to do this. We, we don't get this out. We'll lose all of our funding, blah, blah, blah. You know, this whole situation. But we're doing it, right? Yep, we're doing it. Everybody's saying, we got this, right? We're going to meet the deadline. And it was all of a sudden, they said it so much. And I'm like, this is not, they're full of it. 
nobody, this isn't happening. And so finally I took the senior leadership in the boardroom and I said, all right, everybody says we got to make this right. We're going to lose all our funding, a hundred million. Everything's going to go to heck. Right. Yep. 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 We all, yeah, absolutely. That's all going to happen. I said, great. Everybody pause for a second. One out of 10. You actually think this is going to happen by June 1st. One out of 10, just, we're going to go around the room. Oh, nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. Eight out of 10. Finally, this lady has the guts Three out of 10. I'm like, okay. Well, and, and, and I mean, the CEO's eyes went like, what the heck? If we don't have her in, we're dead. And then this person says, you know what? If she's a three out of 10, I'm a five out of 10. And then, and then it goes around and like, and we basically uncovered this problem soon enough to be able to change things and, and um, salvage the company. But this was a moment of truth that happened that they were just, they would have been dead. And so that there's a little part of that tipping point that's in the story that leads to transformation because of a wake up call. And frankly, the CEO starting to trust himself. There's some intimate little ties there of it's, it's, uh, uh, I think a lot of whether it's imposter syndrome or all these other things that happen in leaders where, um, you got to trust yourself too, but you have to do things that make you trust yourself. You don't just, it, it's like the idea, love your neighbors yourself. Well, you find someone that doesn't love themselves at all. They're not very fun to be around. Same with people that don't trust themselves, but you have to do the things that help you do it. Could you take my trust book off your shelf one more time, please? Oh my God. <laughs> and could you read the inscription? Let's just see here. <laughs> on the first page i wrote you a note can you tell me what it is yes yeah trust yourself so exactly. What I, love, exactly. I love that let me tell you something let me give life to that because some people they, they got to trust themselves for what they do the only way to build trust let me just remind people you don't build trust people think they build trust by um by apologizing, as an example, when they make a mistake, we've all made mistakes, apologize. You don't. You only build trust by making and keeping commitments. And so you trust yourself after you make there, – there's a lot of people that should trust themselves to be late because that's what they are all the time. You know, it's like you, you – I, I, I agree with this and appreciate it, but, but you you build that trust in yourself. It's, it's you know, when I lost the weight the first time, I told the team – if I'm not, if I'm not, uh, my high school weight by May 1st, I'll give you $2,500. And this is a time when I didn't have 2500 Like that was a big, my wife's like, what the heck are you doing? Right. And, but I knew my biggest problem wouldn't be paying the $2,500 all over. It would have been not keeping the commitment with myself. And then I would have trusted myself less. So absolutely trust yourself. Um, but you got to earn it with yourself too. People make all sorts of excuses for why they can't keep their commitment with their self. You know, okay, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow morning and I'm going to work out. And then tomorrow morning rolls around and they're like, well, it's not a big deal if I just like sleep. And, you know, I, I stayed up really late working. They make all these excuses and then they rationalize it in their head for why they should don't have to go and they can sleep in. And then they're breaking that trust with themselves and they trust and they trust themselves less for good reason. Mm-hmm. because they haven't earned it with themselves. Right. Yeah. So sure. a way out, you know, I do have a, a, a habit change process and they're under consistency. I mean, there's things people can do that, that can help them getting absolutely clear. This is why clarity, by the way, gives hope that final, how, like, if you said to me, I can never have ice cream again, it's just not going to happen. Okay. But if, if if I can come to a final, how that I will apply, it's like, I could do that. Okay, I cannot 
on the plane, I cannot order a Coke and I can order a Diet Coke or a Fresca. No calories in those. Okay, I, that's one thing. And I had to get more, multiple things I could do because there was things I wasn't going to do, like not have ice cream again, right? So that give that final how does give hope to that person. So they've got to get to hope to how they can actually apply. Yeah. And, you know, at the beginning, you talked about how this has helped you um, with family, with life, with personal stuff, not just business stuff, but can you elaborate on that oh, for our, our diehard? I don't know. I got, I got four teenagers right now. I don't know if I'm, I, I, some days I think I'm doing better, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's it. It's, there's a lot of things to this, you know, um, one idea I talk about having, you know, like not just values, but decision-making values, values you make decisions by. And there's a whole lot of ways that I talk about that from, from how the books are created that we create. Like we have a value of excellence. That's why it's created. I was, I'm sure inspired by Jeffrey, actually back then, no books were cool and felt good in your hand. And I remember saying to the publisher, I don't want to copy this, but I want to be, it wasn't the publisher then it was when I was self-publishing. I said, but I want it to feel cool. And I want it to be two things. I want it to, be feel great and engaging, but also be trusted. So it, ha it can't have, you know, 26 fonts it, and not that that isn't, but it, it has to be engaging and cool, but it also has to be kind of a little and like, like they came from research in a way, like it, it just had to have this balance. And um, so certain values. So let's jump to kids. So we, Lisa and I, you'd love to be married to me. Wow. I was, uh, you know, in old consulting fashion 20 years ago or whatever, we're on a date probably. And I said to my wife, what do we want the output of a 18 year old horse auger to look like? Very romantic. I said, uh, what's the output? And let me um, write that down. Hold on. Let me yeah. write that down. Okay, go ahead. This is romantic 101 right here. And she humors me like she has in life. And so we talk about what's what's an 18-year-old? And now we have an 18-year-old horse auger. And she looks in many ways like that. I, I'm really grateful and uh, for this. But we came up with these horse auger tenants. This was just clarity. What what what's the tent? What's the, what's the decision-making value of a horse auger? And we had several be generous. They're generous. They're, they're, uh, humble. They're all these things. Okay. And we'd have them at the kitchen table, you know, milk spill on it or whatever. We put plastic on it finally. And we would touch on these just touch. It wasn't some big study every morning. It was just like uh, whatever. And by two years old, they knew all of them. Everybody, they could rattle them off. Oh, do this. Oh, do that. They all knew. Uh, even though they kind of knew where we came from in that basement apartment, people, you know, kids even can tell when things start to get better, change financially or whatever. And I remember I started traveling a lot more in those days. And I thought that old, that's suburban. I think Lisa needs something a little newer. I'm gone more, whatever. And so we started talking about this. I was thinking trade in the suburban and uh, my five-year-old, the oldest at that time piped up and said, well, you, our value is be generous Shouldn't we give it away? We heard about a family that needed a, a vehicle. Whoa. And that day we decided to buy a different vehicle and give that suburban away because our kid held us to what we said we were going to believe and be and live out. Cool. That is so cool. So. And where did the, where do those um, kid lessons live? Well, I, they're on a, so if you come into our house, we have our, no, 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 no. Where do they live so that somebody can get them? Because right now there's a thousand people listening and they all oh. want them. 
Yeah, I mean, I've got them. They were actually, they were on the Trusted site for a long time. I can, uh, I think they might still be in resources or something somewhere where people can see them, um, but I can get them. You can get us a link and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll write about it and let 100,000 people know about it. How about that? (laughs) All right, there you go. I I wanted to throw one other thing at you just for thought process. I have. You're a smart guy. I'm getting worried here. I mean, a lot of these are easy, but I'm like, oh, great. I have coached salespeople and speakers and said the best way you can improve and build any kind of audience interaction or audience trust is to film yourself, watch it, and ask yourself if you would trust it or not. That's a great question. Most people don't film themselves because they don't want to know. Yeah. They would rather ask the audience for an evaluation, which is like a phony pat in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think film yourself is a a very solid way of saying, I I look at my own film. Do I trust this guy? Would I buy from this guy? Is this guy's message transferable to me? Or is he pontificating about some bullshit that I don't really want to know about? Right. No, I just saying critiquing yourself. I mean, this is the, this is the start of humility. Humility is the start to higher competency, right? Knowing we don't know it all and can get better. And, uh, the question is great is would I trust this person both for on stage, for sales interviews, for zoom, whatever we can critique that. And we can right. tell. I love that point, Jeffrey. I think it's really hard to hear yourself in the moment, but I know when I first got started in sales and I knew I was going to have to pitch to my boss, which was scarier than pitching to real clients. I uh, took one of those old school tape recorders and literally just recorded my pitch and then would play it back. And every time I didn't like something I said, I would start all over again and do the whole presentation until I came up with something that I felt like sounded right and comfortable. And when I was playing it back, I was listening with the customer's point of view to to really Mm -hmm. figure out like, how would they perceive this? And I think I did that a hundred plus times, literally like a hundred times before I liked what I did. And I aced my my pitch to my boss. That's why you're good. But, but it was only because I put so much work into, into doing that. And I think most people don't want to do that work, but that makes a difference. Absolutely. Got to do the work that increases. I mean, that that just goes to our competency pillar in, you know, input equals output, right? You got to put the right things in to get the right output over and over and over, put add that add consistency to that. And you have something love it. My quote is, most salespeople will not do the hard work that it takes to make selling easy. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I love it. All right. We're going to send people to your book, The Trusted Leader, because we... Just take the word the, like Facebook, take the word the out and just do trusted leader. Trusted leader, sorry. Trustedleaderbook.com slash S-O-R-D for a bunch of free stuff for your team. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll put that in the notes as well. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, I'm so grateful to know you. You've made me better, Jeffrey, and just grateful to be on with both of you. uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Sell or Die. We hope that this episode has helped you transform the way you think, given you new ideas, and provided you a new perspective on the sales and business challenges that you face every day. So you can get out there and win the customer all the way to the bank. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us help more people just like you make a difference in this world. Don't forget to take a screenshot, share it in your Instagram stories and tag us at Jeffrey Gittimer and at Jen Gittimer. See See you next week. week.